Herder for the lead. Butter baby, bam. The Kings beat the Jazz 126-125 on a shot with nine seconds left from Kevin Herter to take the lead. The second straight game that the Kings win by one point at home. In extremely exciting fashion. Two big wins to salvage this homestand. Go 500 on the homestand. The Kings led for a lot of this game, but just could not pull away from the Jazz. And at the end, it looked like it might slip away. But off of two offensive rebounds, Fox missed an open midi. Then a rebound back to Fox. Missed a floater. Gets his own rebound. Bats it to Barnes. Over to Keegan Murray. One more pass to Kevin Herter. Open for three. And he was not missing that. He had missed one a few possessions before that. That would have uh, either tied it or taken the lead. I forget. But he did not miss again. Herter had 30 points, a season high for him, hit six threes, and was just amazing on the offensive side of the ball. De'Aaron Fox was also taken down down the stretch. His shot was not quite there most of the night, but uh, down the stretch, uh, except for the last possession where he missed two pretty open looks, he did a pretty good job of, of taking over like he normally does, and... Um, he ended up having 24 points on 10 of 24 shooting. So not the most efficient 24 points, but also had 10 assists in this game. He did a great job of playmaking. And then, of course, DeMontis Sabonis with almost the perfect game. He went 12 for 12 from the field with a broken thumb. It's crazy. Two for two from three. But he missed one free throw going two for three from the free throw line. And he had another, you know, crazy stat line, 28-11-8. I mean, two nights in a row where the Kings just have three guys with pretty crazy stat lines. And, you know, it, this time it was Kevin Herter instead of Malik Monk. But that's exactly what this team can do when, you know, Malik isn't going, Kevin Herter's there. When Kevin Herter's not going, then it's Malik or Barnes. Just an incredible ending to this game. And then that last defensive possession where Markinen gets it, who's been killing us all game. He ended with 36 points in this game. And De'Aaron just does a great job of slapping the ball away. And it could have so easily gone off Markinen, but it went off Barnes's foot. And then, so they get another chance, get it into Markinen with four or five seconds. And Barnes played great defense on him to... Contest that shot and force the miss. And on that miss, when Kelly Olynyk went and kind of got it, but was out of bounds, the referee right there initially signaled that it was jazz ball. And I was going crazy. I'm like, what What? What were you watching? Like, if they would have given that ball to the jazz, I, I would have been so mad because Davion never touched it and Kelly Olynyk was holding the ball while standing out of bounds. But they did change it. You could see from the very start of this game that Kevin Herter was was feeling it. Just the way he was shooting, every shot was, as Mark Jones said on that last shot, butter. He's just so smooth. All of his shots, except his free throws. His free throws aren't aren't very smooth. He didn't shoot any in this game, but just um, he just has such a weird free throw routine. 
it's definitely not smooth, but everything else about his shot is extremely smooth. He was in foul trouble for, I believe, the second straight game. He had five fouls in this game. He just struggles to stay in front of guys, and, and it uh, comes back to bite him because then he's forced to foul him. But I would rather have a guard in foul trouble than, you know, Sabonis. This was a game where both teams, it felt like, constantly had mismatches. Like, the teams just match up so weirdly to each other that there's always a matchup somewhere. I feel like the Kings always had a bigger guy on a smaller guy, and then on the other end, it was like, you know, nobody can guard Markinen, and it was maybe a, a wing player on a guard. It, very weird to see just the matchups across this game. And both Markinen and Sabonis took advantage of their uh, mismatches. Apparently, Sabonis had seven turnovers, which... I don't know. I, I didn't see that many. I mean, I remember a few, but seven turnovers is crazy for him. You usually do not see that. But this was a very fast-paced game. Both teams, very offensive-oriented teams. And the Kings did a good job of getting inside early in this game because the Jazz are not a good team at protecting the paint. Their only guy that can protect the paint well really is Walker Kessler. He's their only rim protector, and other than that, I mean, off the bench, they don't have any, you know, big guys, and, and in the starting lineup, it's really just Kelly Olenek and then Jared Vanderbilt, too, but he's undersized for the four position, and I loved the passing early on in this game from the Kings, and Keegan Murray had a really nice pass, which is something you don't normally see from him just making the right decision on a play where he kind of dribbled into the mid-range. And then he also had a steal and also an and-one dunk. He missed the free throw, but he, he started the game very well, doing a little bit of everything rather than just, you know, sitting on the perimeter and, and shooting threes. To start the second half, the Kings' offense was playing well. Fox was going to the rim, which he hadn't really done too much in the first half. But the problem was, on the other side of the ball, the Kings could not stop Markkanen from dunking the ball. The first three buckets for the Jazz in that second half were all dunks from Markkanen. And one of them was an absolute poster on Sabonis, which I actually liked the defense from Sabonis. He did everything he could. He did everything right going straight up on the help, but uh, he paid for it with an absolute highlight dunk from Markkanen there. But yeah, the Kings offense was just playing really well throughout the game. Uh, and uh, that Sabonis dribble handoff with Kevin Herter was lethal in this game. When Kevin Herter's shot is on point, I mean, nobody can stop that dribble handoff because you have to choose. You know, are you going to give Kevin Herter any space or are you going to step out on him? And then Sabonis has a mismatch and space to work and he'll make the right decision almost every time. And Sabonis was shooting it from three, you know, two for two from three in this game. He is shooting an absurd percentage on the season. Pretty much as good as Kevin Herter, obviously on a lot less volume, but still pretty good volume. Like 40 shots on the season and he's made 18 of them or something like that. I love Sabonis's shot selection on his threes. I think he's such a smart player. I don't want him taking any more threes than he already does because 
he takes them when they are given to him. He doesn't take them early in the shot clock. He doesn't take contested threes. He takes them when he's wide open, in rhythm, you know, when the offense presents him the shot. Because I think that is the perfect time for him to be shooting. He doesn't need to shoot any more than that. I mean, unless he, you know, has the confidence and he's knocking them down. I doubt he would be knocking them down at a good clip if he was taking any other types of threes. The Kings were finally able to get a double-digit lead in that third quarter, but then Fox got subbed out, and immediately it went to four and even two points. The offense went cold without Fox in the game because Fox was doing a lot of creating in that third quarter. And Davion came in, and the ball just kind of stuck. There was a few turnovers, and it, it, it was not pretty. Then Rashawn Holmes came in the game, and he was pretty good in his limited minutes in this game. He made a difficult shot, and then a little hook shot, and then he set a nice screen, got a dunk. Uh, earlier in the game, he had an and one. So he had a really solid game going three for three from the field in his 11 minutes, seven points, four rebounds for him. And finally, finally settling into that backup center role. He also had a big block on Malik Beasley, who just tried to dunk on his head for no reason, really, because Beasley could have just laid it off to Walker Kessler, but didn't. And that's why Malik Beasley is a scorer and not a playmaker, because then on the next possession, I think it was, Mike Conley had pretty much the exact same situation and just lobbed it up to Walker Kessler for an open dunk. And one thing that was nice about uh, the start of the fourth quarter was Mike Conley picked up his fifth foul. You know, Mike Conley is very good and definitely could have been a problem in that fourth quarter, but he wasn't. He went four for eight from three in this game, but he wasn't allowed to be a problem because he didn't play because he had five fouls. So that was key. Then Fox got the Jazz back for their, you know, poster dunk on Sabotis. He absolutely posterized Kelly Olenek on a dunk where he just went up and kept going up. He, like, hit into Olenek and then kept going up. It was crazy. I thought he was just going to hit off and then take the layup. But he hit off, bounced off, and just, like, bounced up and dunked it on him. And then just hung on the rim with just this... No expression on his face at all. Just hung there for a bit. <laughs> and there, it was, oh, that was amazing. An amazing dunk. And so funny to see his facial expression during it. In that fourth quarter, and really throughout the game, I thought the Kings were poor at closing out to shooters. They were allowing a lot of guys to get by them on their closeouts. There's a reason the Kings are one of the best teams at contesting three-point shots, and it's because they're not actually good at closing out on three-point shooters. They just... We'll let guys drive right by them on those closeouts. And pretty much every time it was an easy bucket for the Jazz if they got by on a closeout because the Kings could not defend them inside. And then finally the Kings stopped closing out as hard. And some of it was just because they weren't in a position to because the defense was so bad at, at, at some points. But... We got kind of lucky with some misses from three. But that's what we should have been doing all game is making them just take threes instead of closing out so hard and giving them dunks. And it's always nice to win a game when down the stretch you have to intentionally foul. You know, once you start intentionally fouling, it kind of feels like it's over. But 
you know, we intentionally fouled and then Mike Conley missed a shot and that allowed that Kevin Herter, well, what it allowed was for the Kings to go for two for the tie. And that's what allowed Kevin Herter to be so wide open for three off those offensive rebounds. Because if Mike Conley make, makes both shots, then the Kings might still go for two, but it would not have been the same because they would have gone for two probably, and then the Jazz would have been tighter to three-point shooters, maybe even allowed a two because teams tend to do that when they're up by three. So that missed three free throw was massive from Mike Conley. And that's been a theme for Mike Conley this season. He's been pretty bad from the free throw line, a pretty steep drop off these last two seasons in free throw percentage from Mike Conley. Davion Mitchell, again, was very good defensively, especially on Colin Sexton, but also on just on whoever he was guarding in this game. Malik Monk, uh, you know, he had five assists, and but only nine points, two for seven shooting for him this game. Kind of went back to his old shooting, you know, but uh, didn't need him in this game again because Kevin Herter was going off. Last game, it was Monk that played 30-plus minutes, and Herter had like 18, and in this game it was reversed because Herter was the one who had it going, and so that's a really nice luxury to have, to have two options like that. And then Trey Lyles has really cemented himself as a big part of the bench unit because early in the season I expected him to get minutes, uh, but then he had that injury and then kind of we went small and he didn't play that much, but now he has firmly taken a hold of that power forward spot off the bench. And Kaziak Paula in this game only played three minutes, which again, I just don't really agree with. I thought he could have done a good job defensively on a guy like Laurie Markinen, who had 36 points in this game. You know, I just don't really get why he only had three minutes because we were getting killed defensively. But luckily, it didn't come back to bite us in the end. But because Trey Lyles has cemented himself in that uh, rotation, Terrence Davis is definitely out on the outs of that rotation because he's just too small to play the small forward spot. I think Sabonis has pretty clearly cemented himself as a lock for the All-Star game, but uh, Fox is definitely putting out performances that are getting him there. You know, Even though he missed those last two shots, he was extremely clutch in this game just with the plays he was making both defensively and scoring and you know making things happen like crashing the boards on his own miss to make that offensive rebound happen. He was just making winning plays in this game even though his shot wasn't falling throughout the whole game. The Kings now go back out on the road. They go to Memphis, where they did win their last game. We've already played two games against Memphis and have split so far. But this is going to be an extremely difficult game because I think for the most part, the Grizzlies are entirely healthy now. They are 21-13 and 13 on the season and have only lost three home games. Although, you know, one of them was to the Kings. But uh, this is a very tough game for the Kings. It's only a two-game road trip. Their second game is against Utah again, but in Utah, obviously, this time. So the Utah game is definitely the more winnable game out of these two. Although the Grizzlies have lost four of their last six, and not to the best teams. You know, they lost to... Phoenix, who didn't have Devin Booker. They lost to OKC, 
and then they lost to Golden State as well. So maybe they're a little vulnerable. And also they are on a back-to-back. They will be playing New Orleans on the 31st and then playing the Kings on New Year's Day. And that game against the Pelicans, the Pelicans are at the top of the Western Conference. So hopefully that game will tire them out. Hopefully that will be a close game. And maybe we, that that's like our end in this game is that they are on the second half of a back-to-back because or else I would have pretty much no faith in this game, to be honest. It's crazy how quickly things change in the NBA. You know, a few games ago, things were looking looking bad after two bad losses at home. And then all of a sudden, it's feeling good again. And it's not even like this game we beat an amazing team. You know, it's the Jazz. They're okay. But the way that it happened, just the energy that that brings. I mean, I've already watched that Kevin Herter shot, you know, at least 50 times (laughs) just on repeat. And the noise in that arena was so crazy. It was blowing out the microphones. Definitely the, the biggest shot of the season, I think. A very fun moment to uh, make that homestand feel good because, you know, all, all, every single one of the games, I think, sold out. We've had like eight sellouts in a row or something. And you always want to have a good performance in front of sellout crowds like that. Anyways, that is it for this episode of The Roll Report. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and a review. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore The Roll Report, and I will see you guys to recap the game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Peace.